of discussing documentaries with myself Matt Wills and Rick Wharton. Today's documentary is a doozy. Uh, it's called The Dungeon Masters. It was out in released in 2008 directed by Kevin McAllister. It has some accolades as well that not all of them do and this one does. It was the official selection in Toronto International Film Festival, it was the official selection, South by Southwest Film Festival, and it was the official selection in the AFI Dallas Film Festival. So it has a little bit of, um, what's the word I'm after, Rick? It has a little bit of, what, status? It, it, I can see why it's so popular. I, it, this is, oh, really? You, I do, I do. You see some one-of-a-kind crackpots in this. Well, yeah, and let's um, now, Rick. Why don't you you tell us what the documentary is about? Because it genuinely, this one went over my head. Over your head, wow! All right, so uh, this is um, a documentary about the guys who play Dungeons and Dragons, um, yeah, and in particular the people who are the dungeon masters. So those guys basically create the whole game for all these players, hmm. and and then they do these for years these games. But he said, uh, if you've got a real dedicated game master, games can last up to a decade. Yeah. Now that is a game. And this is coming from a guy who, as we know, likes cricket. And that goes on for five days. And that's long enough. A game that goes on for a decade. My dad would call that a marriage. <laughs> so the documentary starts off and we see I bel- we see one of the main protagonists. I forgot. Who's the, who's the guy who looks like he's the creator of The Simpsons? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Or I thought he looked like um, how... Now, this documentary was made 12 years ago, and he looks how Dan Harmon, from the writer of Community or Rick or Morty, uh, he, how Dan Harmon looks now. Absolutely. This guy looks like that. His name was Scott Corum. Scott Corum. And um, it's funny you brought those up because this is how I have a lighter opinion towards Dungeons and Dragons because there was an episode of Community where they played it and made it so funny. It was one of my favorite episodes. And also then they have a show where they play Dungeons and Dragons, but they animate what everyone says into a cartoon called Harmon Quest, who is the creator of Rick and Morty Community. And that itself is hilarious. So I, I give these guys a little, little bit of a break because I have... Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, an affinity to, towards that. So you see uh, Scott Coram? Scott Coram, yeah. So the documentary starts and instantly he's talking about what it's like to be playing Dungeons and Dragons, but he's currently dressing himself like he's going to war <laughs> in Lord of the Rings. I will start a campaign. I will finish a campaign. Who's with me, my merry men? He looks crackers, doesn't he? And the whole thing, the point is he'll do all of his medieval spiel and then say, can we get a McDonald's? And you go... <laughs> Brilliant. We're going to see these people out in the real world. Because it it's meant to be about... Dun- I thought it was around Dungeons and Dragons, and it's not actually. It's It focuses on three main people. So yes. uh, the, the lady who dresses up as an elf, um, who I couldn't help but like, Richard Meeks, a.k.a. Father of the Year, 
and Scott Corum. <laughs> <laughs> and Scott Corum, who again, uh, he, he, could, he could push Richard out of the way for father of the year. Uh, this is coming from a man who literally just watched Abducted in Plain Sight. Oh God, I'm not looking forward to that one. Yeah, that one is next. But uh, so, that, so you meet Scott Corum, but then you meet uh, Richard Meeks, who for me, when you watch Richard Meeks on camera and the things he's saying and trying to convey, but trying his face is saying something else. Mm. It honestly, I think there is elements of shows like The Office that are 100% based on these types of documentaries. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. It, what a Game Master is, is they create the Dungeons & Dragons universe and then they control it. It's like being a referee in a football game, but with a lot more creative control. Yeah. And basically, he, <laughs> he played with the same bunch of friends, right, as Game Master for seven years. And then they split up because one day... He killed them all. Yeah, this he is the story. All of their characters that they built up over seven years, and once you die in Dungeons and Dragons, it's not like real life. You get reincarnated or come back again, as you know, an answer where you're dead. They tear up your character in front of your crying face just to make the pain real. My flatmate got me to watch this documentary by literally just telling me that story. And I was like, I'm in. So he went, right, so they played Dungeons and Dragons for 10 years. You build your character up, and then one day he had a, <laughs> he'd had a bad afternoon, so he decided to kill them all. And they just, and, and the, the scenario he set up for all those best friends who come around once a week and spend hours with them, and they all yeah. meant to have fun, and he just basically went, there's a load of gold in that room, and they all ran the room, and he said, you have walked into a Sophia of Annihilation, hand in your game cards. Yeah. And he is so proud. Like, he is beaming. Yeah, he was over the moon. He This is his friends for seven years, who he played with on a weekly basis. That's uh, 100, 200, three, that's 350 meetings at least of just meeting to play Dungeons and Dragons. Because it was at that point I decided I wanted to switch off. I just instantly disliked this guy. Oh, right? man. This is, I love seeing now, people I dislike. I, I, well, I'm sorry. I want to see arseholes. Here's the thing. I spend most of my life liking almost everyone I meet. So you choosing these documentaries, this is the third one you've chosen with people I genuinely dislike. And that's, that's a new feeling for me. So it's nice to experience that. But just to make sure you didn't switch off, um, and because it was filmed in a different time, they then cut to a woman in a stormtrooper outfit walking out of a lady's toilet. And you know it's a woman because the stormtrooper outfit had no midriff. So it was just her walking out with her her naked stomach there. Just just to keep you just to keep the guys interested of oh, this Richard Meeks is a dick. Oh, hang on. There might be naked women in it. I'll carry on watching it. I've got a thing about not on the same lines we're thinking about, but um, my brother uh, does the marketing for a collection of shopping centers and he tries to do all out of the box ways to get like attention on social media and stuff like that for it. Right. And one of the people he uses frequently is there is a group of stormtroopers in the UK that if you hire them, they will turn up for free in full gear and they will never break character. So oh, you could. Disney esque. Yeah, so they you, we uh, had a surprise party for my dad's 60th, and it was like a sci-fi fancy dress because he loves all like Space Odyssey and all that kind of stuff. Uh, if you wonder what I went as, we went as Mulder and Scully, so I just had to wear a name tag. Um, <laughs> and had we, pumpkin seeds. That was your only prop. Didn't even have the pumpkin <laughs> seeds. Just 
Mulder and Scully, I had a badge that said FBI and wore my suit. Beautiful. But what we were going to do is hire uh, the stormtroopers to come and stand on the door with blasters and let people nice. come and come go. And we never bothered in case we had to hang out with them. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it, was just, it was just too much effort just to coordinate it. But apparently there is like a group that are like super dedicated. If you've That's got like, if you have a sci-fi theme party, you can get a group of stormtroopers happily to stand there with blasters. Okay. But like what Got you said about the Disney... Yeah, when they're in character. So yeah, they're, once they're in character, they're in character. Well, and the characters, that that's a good point, right? Because that leads us into these three, these three protagonists in this documentary, they, are, they have characters that they play, not just game masters, but the woman. Um, we, need, we need to find out her name because we've... We, uh, we, yeah, we can't... Well, I, I called her... I wrote her name down and then I went, no, I'm going to call her Elf Woman because... She is very, very empowered, right? Because she's an elf woman, because in elf world, men don't have rights. And this woman's backstory is rough. Yeah, yeah. Because with Meeks, you can tell it's about control. He likes being the game master. Yep. You're in yes. my world. I'm, I need you. And you see him t- telling the players when they're doing the game, like, just so you know, I can kill you anytime I want. And then yeah. he really gets into it. It's animated. And... Um, I've put on a T-shirt in respect of Richard Meeks today because this is the T-shirt he should be wearing. And it just says across my chest, I am God. Because <laughs> that that's what he was like, wasn't he? That was his yeah. little bit of power. That's the only control he had. He, he There is some moments with him that if you put that in a sitcom, I love him. He's, he's, <laughs> a, villain. he's, a, he's a villain and a half. But um, it's weird because the elf lady blacks up. Yes, but it's somehow okay socially because she has the ears. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a different time. Apparently, in two thousand and eight, that was all the rage. You could go um, in Black Elf, and then she's there. She's very stern talking, and um, and she, yeah, she. So it makes you very learn how he wants to be like in control of his surroundings. Yep. He wants to be feared, where she is clearly. She gets something out of it that she feels wronged about yeah. in the past, and she goes into it uh, quite eloquently. It, yeah, it's, it's it's heartbreaking and brutal. But well, Scott Coram, we go into his past, right? And th- again, there's, there's a lot of heartbreaking moments in this. So effectively, they're free geeks, aren't they? Um, and then he gives his backstory. So when he went to high school, the high school teacher went round the class and asked the kids what they would rather be known as. And when it no, got it was his him, first day at a new school. At the new school, right. So, and he was reinventing himself. So he was being introduced to the class. It wasn't, what's your name, what's your name, what's your name? It's, oh, here's our new new students. Oh, okay. I misunderstood so, that. So, I thought it was so everyone's, high school. Now, everyone's eyes on him, as what I remember. Cause for, unless, because I misunderstood, it might have been between the high schools. Yeah, but he said, they That's said, what do you want to be known as? And he went, Sherlock. And for went, years. You can call me Sherlock. <laughs> He would get calls at his house. People would hit him and call him Sherlock. And he and he says, my social life didn't recover for a very long time. He was a broken child with a broken so, childhood. Here's a question. I've just wrote down little notes now. From watching this, would you play Dungeons and Dragons? Never. <laughs> Especially after... Um, right, now, I was in IT, right, for near on 25, 30 years. Now, a lot of these characters from the, well, the three characters from this documentary, they're very IT type people, right? There's a, 
a level of brokenness about them. They can sit there and program for years. They can sit there and, you know, just sit there on a keyboard for forever. Um, they're, they're slowly socially awkward. Uh, they're very uncomfortable. I've hung around and had friends like this, but not once have I ever been invited to or have had a desire to take part in Dungeons and Dragons. I, I don't know why. It just doesn't. And the weird thing is I had the Dungeons and Dragons DVD, you know, from the cartoon. Do you remember the cartoon? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had all of that. Didn't even watch it. Just gave it away. It had on, held onto it for about eight years and then went, this is not going to work for me. See, my dad and my brother were very much into Warhammer back in the day, which I don't think is too much of a hop, skip and a jump away from Dungeons and Dragons. I, yeah. I, you ever see? It's, no, yeah, I get it. I, I get the the genre. and all. It, Even for me, Lord of the Rings is a jump too far. I'm like, really? Right, Come on. Right. And I love a bit of sci-fi, but that fantasy crap, now I'm out. It's just not, it's not my bag. But it seems to be, it's huge, isn't it? For all the people who like it, you know, and it seems to, it feels a part of their life. I, I, I've, and they, the community then, around it, the subculture, again. Again, and we're seeing a lot of these in the documentary. It is finding their place for people. But yeah. i got to say, I, I, I love a woman in cosplay. I think if I was lonely, I'd give it a go. <laughs> But you couldn't you couldn't hide your intentions in the slightest. So it'd be like, Rick, it's your move. Well, for my turn, I would like to save Trixie the Elf. <laughs> I I carry her to safety if I roll a six. <laughs> but that, that's Scott Corum. Um, he's when he said, uh, yeah, he said so. I got into vent- ventriloquism. I'm not a great ventriloquist, but I can move my hand. Okay. Oh, and he says the creepiest thing ever because um, he's done his exercises for being a ventriloquist so much he now does that in his sleep ventriloquizes in his sleep and if you imagine your hands a sock puppet he says the hand will raise up and then stare at his wife and you think that is again that is what i want to hear in a documentary that's hilarious that is and his wife whenever she looks at him there's a element of love when she looks at her husband and the man who's helped fathered her child um, and there's a lot of there's a huge element of hate and it just disrespect. I'll tell you what. She disrespects him because he is hands down Mr. Lazy. He is the laziest guy going. I saw more examples of real magic in this documentary than I did love from that wife. <laughs> <laughs> I saw more actual dragons than affection. Because <laughs> um, uh, and again, I I my girlfriend hated Scott Corum. I can see Because he'd be there yeah. and he was lazy and then she would say how she does a lot of work and then he would make a joke instead of saying thank you. Yeah. And the tension in it, and again, it was just, there was moments of Scott where you're like, this is, you see a weird reaction on camera that you just think is something else. Yeah. Because at the moment when he sat, I think this is later in the documentary, he is sat on his sofa and his child comes in. Out of the blue. You didn't know he had yeah, a kid. It, you didn't know he had a kid. But his reaction of awkwardness yeah. makes it super awkward. Like he didn't recognize the child or he didn't want the child to be on. So he just stands there like a deer in the headlights looking at the camera, trying to think of something witty but failing. To me, that point was almost he was looking at the camera as if to say, oh, did I not tell you I had a wife and child? <laughs> it was like they were surprised as well. Because when they panned back, the awkwardness between all of them in the room was... Yeah, it was it was palpable. When he said, 
so yeah i worked in uh, i worked in churches for years doing ventriloquism and then i was no longer able to do that due to politics and personal preference really that sounds dodgy doesn't it just is that because I'm, I'm watching too many documentaries about bad people at the moment thanks to Thanks to you. Um, so my oh, my worry meter sets off when he says that. Oh, you wait till 10 episodes of My Sister's Keeper, Matt. We're going to need to put you in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> when he says, uh, so I've tried this and I've tried that. It's been one disaster after another. So now I'm an author. Yeah, well, that's a great yeah. way to make money, Scott. But everything he did is very much on the fringes. I was a ventriloquist. That didn't work out. I tried to hypnotize people. No one would hire me. <laughs> I tried to learn mind control and no one's going for it. Yeah. <laughs> when, he, when he says, uh, he says, so, uh, yeah, so I, I work here looking after the uh, the apartment complex. You know, it's a full-time job. And his wife goes, no, it's not. It's a part-time job. I've got the full-time job looking after this place. You occasionally help out. And he's just so downtrodden by this woman who's clearly carrying the weight of the relationship, the financial yeah. burden, the raising of the child. There was, um, I will say this, uh, just back on the topic of, of actually playing it, is if I had a character like the elf lady, I would just be needlessly bigoted to another species. Would <laughs> you? I wouldn't. Cause you see, I'd, cause... I'd become an elf man and I'd start fighting for the rights of elf men. I'd, oh, set, up a, you, I'd set up a community. We'd have placards. Uh, I'd have meetings. <laughs> all, all you need, right, for a movement is a great hashtag. It always seems weird to me that people who have uh, suffered as a group, like uh, clearly this, this woman has suffered, and it's the fact she joins a group where she makes another bunch of people suffer. So they can't let their suffering go. They need to pass it on to another group. That seems incredibly unfair. Almost if they, well, they've learned nothing from suffering. Yeah. And it's the, um, the be so the beginning part, although it's only about three people, they do interview a bunch of people at the convention to give their character and their backstory. Just so you know, it's not just these yeah, yeah. three people that they're zooming in on. And there's, there's a guy that just makes me laugh because, uh, yeah, uh, my name is... Balthazar, I was I was a troll. <laughs> well, he thought he was a troll. He was actually he was actually a dwarf that was raised by raised by trolls. <laughs> and, and then he I wages just... war against the trolls who abandoned him. How dare they? <laughs> this documentary could have been called uh, "What Happens When Acne Lasts." <laughs> There was a guy because you, you you almost forget to look around because the the main characters are that captivated. But there was a guy to the left of one of the dungeon masters who like it honestly looked like CCTV had blurred his face out because of the pock marks. <laughs> but he just do you know man. what I mean? He looked yeah, like the yeah. reenactments. There was um the the next surprise I got was when we because it kept switching between the the three main people. And when you switch to Dungeon Master Meeks, um, it then cuts to the fact that he's also got a wife. That you're like, oh my God, he's got a wife. Because he seems so, just he just doesn't seem like a nice man. This is the guy who killed all his friends. And then his wife says, yeah, I tried to watch some of that Dungeons and Dragons stuff. It was just so boring. <laughs> did, did you hear how he referred to his wife? He turns, he says, this is Julie, my current wife. And I thought that was a fantastic slip of arrogance of him because he looks, he's someone who's trying to come across as charismatic every time he's on screen. Yeah. But it's also a bit like who's the dude in Battered Bastards of Baseball that came a comedy owner? Oh, yeah. Um, 
Swally. Swanny. 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 You had that very much. You're coming into my world. Yeah. I am mad. Hear me roar. And then he says, I think it's soon after that. Does that when he talks about how he is a nudist? It, it's not. It's the way he's in. That's when I sent you a text and I just said, what have you got me to watch? Because the camera pans across from his head and then it, it sort of zooms back and he's not sitting in a chair. He's He's got his arms draped. He's got his legs draped over the arm of the chair and he's sitting back in the chair and he's naked. I've got no problem with people being naked. It was just a bit of a shock. I was a bit, you know, and he just talks about being, you know, a nudist. And uh... well, just before that, I was making a note, and then this that nudist scene kind of blew me notes out of the water. <laughs> but he was um, there was a scene where he's shirtless and brushing his teeth while wearing military dog tags. Yeah, and I couldn't understand why you would have someone. F- why you'd be Philem doing that? It's just like, is he thinking, this is 1998 or whatever. He needs people to know he's got an electric toothbrush. <laughs> like he is. Well, it wasn't that, was he? Because that, that was the foreshadowing. Because for, he was an all-American hero, this kid. He did two years in uh, the military, right? He did, uh, he was, a, he's, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get myself to like him a bit so I could, but it, it's really difficult. So he did a couple of years in the military, and he, it sounds like he did a tour of duty. I got the impression he he saw action. That was probably in Mordor where he was <laughs> six. Though you don't, you don't really know with me because I don't. When he's talking about becoming a nudist, he tells the story, and there's a great again just the way he words things. Uh, and I obviously I always look too far into what people are really mean and. And things like that is a thing that I'm learning that I'm very snarky from listening back to some of these podcasts. <laughs> but <laughs> Matt will say something nice and I'll go, meh, but he means this. <laughs> so, but he, he goes, so uh, I was about 21, 22, and uh, my friend says to me, Would you like to go and see the Mr. and Mrs. Nude of the Year? And I went, What's that? And I went there and they get all these gorgeous men and women to. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just a celebration of it's who I am and then it just quickly cuts away because the people with the cameras clearly do not want to see this guy's balls rubbing on the on the hotel couch anymore oh that was just, it just genuinely looked uncomfortable I, I didn't get the point of the documentary all three of them were having quite a bad time just generally in life like some people do like so for instance the elf girl um, her town was devastated by Hurricane Katrina um as well as her makeup. Did you see yep. the state of her pillows? That was just shocking to me, right? As a reasonably <laughs> clean person. And then when she said, every moment I'm not asleep, I'm online, it's either MSM Messenger or World of Warcraft. That's where most of my relationships take place. But South Park did an episode about World of Warcraft, which was one of their best episodes it's a great, as well. That is a great episode. The best in the world of Warcraft. Yeah, it's absolutely superb. But what what about this when uh, when she says relationships for me are interesting? I'm a drama attractor. Oh, here we go. Here we go. I love it. She says that while she's you know full black face. Yep, pointy, pointy ears. ears. Uh, what the white wig? Yeah, it's just the the whole thing. I just you know when you watch The Office for the first time and you've got that uncomfortableness. It, it, mm. I don't know for you, The Office just it made me feel a bit anxious. I think that was the point oh, I loved of it. it. 
Right. Okay. Yeah. I've only seen a few episodes, but it just it yeah, I struggled to watch it. And I felt the same with this documentary. I was like, oh, these poor people, these poor, poor people. And I should feel empathy for them. But I, I think I think you've emptied my empathy meter, Rick. Because in the end, I was like, oh, have a word with yourself. All three of you, pull your finger out. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Just be more nicer to your partner for a start. Oh, yeah, because the next person we see is uh, Scott Curram again, and he's literally just being prodded in the face to wake up by his child. He's clearly slept in and not done any of the work with the kid or the house or yeah. anything. And they're, they're uh, giggling, but it's that uncomfortable giggle of, we have to do this every morning because we live a, with a human being who can't get himself out of bed when he should. Oh, it's disgraceful. Very important for me to watch that and realise that that behaviour is not okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is that you and your lass? Is that what you're telling me? Uh, oh, we are different levels of work ethic and energy. <laughs> um, can't compete. I honestly can't. She's, she's the MVP of this relationship beyond a shadow of a doubt. Oh, what I also know is I can't sit there and make quips about how, <laughs> well, I drove you somewhere last Tuesday. I know you've been doing my job for us. <laughs> So you can read the room, unlike Scott Coram, who to, oh god yeah to his uh, to his credit, he then gets a literary agent to read mm-hmm. his book, and they're talking about publishing it. So um, yeah, and he then decides to do a TV cable access show, right? Yeah, um, and then a woman turns up. The husband introduces them, and then they have a Rachel and Ross thing going on very much. Oh, again, and I I, I loved that being. Sean, uh, the whole we finish each other's sentences yeah. and little things like, and you've already seen there's not a whole lot of affection between him and his wife. Him and the wife, yeah. uh, she's not particularly interested in that world. What about the heartbreaking bit where he asks his wife if she can spare money to buy him shoes? He needs twenty dollars for new shoes. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Now, as someone who's had to borrow money several times, why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, why on earth? Why would you say that on camera? I know. That's a chat to the side. That's pet me yeah. toes are hanging out of. I might. I do you know what. If I had new shoes, I, I might be able to help around <laughs> the house a bit more. You know, I keep stubbing my feet. Well, him and his wife have what I'd describe as marriage issues. It's damn uncomfortable. It is super uncomfortable. Whenever you see them, there is because she cuts them down anytime he tries to say anything there's not any yeah. solidarity but again this is this is if you try and prefix this this is just on the cusp of reality tv becoming in the mainstream yeah. we are all uh like some more than others from doing this podcast are very in tuned to watching people on reality tv and what makes them look like a dick does that make yeah, sense completely to you? yeah yeah uh, and the idea that this will be seen, because obviously she thinks a documentary about her bum husband is not going to be going to Cannes Film Festival somehow. And she also sees it as grossly unfair, I think, since she's the one carrying yeah. the load, right? That's just... God, yeah. It's unfair yeah. on her. It genuinely is. Um, then we cut to the LARPing, don't we? The live action role play. Which is Oh, I was so glad they had this. Basically what it is, it's live action Dungeons and Dragons. So everyone dresses up and they plays they play pretend, right? I guess to me, the way I saw that it was like being in an episode of Downton Abbey, right? Just with different different uniforms. They're all dressing up. It's a period drama. They choose a character. They live in that character for a while. The difference is Downton Abbey staff 
they all get paid because it's make-believe. Whereas these people believe it's real. Live action role-playing. It's scary. It, it just seems scary to me. And, and fun. I'd like to take part in LARPing. I think I'd really enjoy that. You'd go back to being a six-year-old kid. I saw it and I thought, this might be a bit more up my alley. <laughs> that is that is a lot more up my alley. Well, we get to beat what, each other with swords. Yeah, all right. And you you being your height, if you selected your character carefully, you'd look one of the most authentic. I'd look great, yeah. Yeah, you you with your little pointy ears and a bow oh, and arrow. Mate. And I've never in my life ever been successful with the opposite sex you put me in a larping environment i'd be like brad pitt and george clooney all rolled into a one i'd be like oh, a, yeah, a mini clooney pit that would be me i'd be gorgeous you'd be the big dick in the chocolate factory I would. right there man. i would certainly <laughs> would without the big dick sadly <laughs> but there's a lovely quote from a fella at the larping event and he says uh if you dress up in your mum's clothes as a kid that was larping if you got caught dressing up in your mum's clothes when you was a kid and you had to lie to back it up, that taught you great LARPing skills. Listen, son, as an Englishman, there is no shame in being a transvestite. We've got no problem with it. Englishmen have been dressing up in women's clothes for hundreds and hundreds of years. We used to do it on stage. One of our most famous comedians does it. It's not seen as a bad thing in our country, whereas it seems in America... They seem to have a bit of a problem with the old... Uh... The, the homopho- anything towards like homophobia, there is uh, elements. Every American documentary we'll see, we'll see some people might be suppressing some things. Yeah. It, it's, like, like, cause but the fact he was not so an embarrassed, wasn't he, about dressing up in his mum's clothes as a kid. You're like, mate, you were a kid. Forgive yourself. It was all right. And then we never see that guy ever again. That was the weird I thing. I thought he was more trying to joke and be charismatic. He's like... When you dress up in your mom's clothes, and then when you did it, and he, and he kind of lifted his nose. It was, it was like a, a mid card wrestler promo for me, is what he was doing. Because he's thought of that whenever you play a cops and robbers line, he's had to tell that to a lot of people when they've asked him, oh, What are you doing at the weekend? Oh, that was his bit. Yeah, I think that oh, was his right. bit. No, I got it as he was coming out as a transvestite, and he had a real problem with it. Oh, God. you It's like we're rubbing off on each other, man. I didn't see that at all. <laughs> I thought I, th- I thought he's got bad teeth, so he dresses up as a knight. <laughs> so at this point, just quickly, and this is one of the detractors for the documentary for me. So we're hitting the 43-minute mark, and there is no real narrative. There's no narrative you know in this mean? at all. You have no idea what's going on. It's all character-driven, but the characters themselves are pretty solid and watchable for, for my money. I mean, you're looking forward to seeing what happens with Scott's book. But again, we'll come back to Cheeks and no no chance Cheeks is what you call it. You don't get any second chances of Richard Cheeks. <laughs> Meeks. Richard Meeks. Oh, I wrote che- Cheeks down. My, oh, okay. my bad. Cheeky Meeks. Cheeky Meeks. Uh, so it goes into his past and um, he was in the TAs. And he'd say he's got a bad past. So he's got, had an abusive stepdad, yep. moved out at 18 due to a court order. Um, I don't know if that was the parents getting the court order to get him to move out. <laughs> I should laugh as much as I have at that. That's funny. But you can imagine what he's like to be around that guy. He is yeah, so it was terrible, right? Because and just I I found the documentary really quite miserable because the cinematography in it, like when they cut to these shots of America. Now it's around. Oh, where so it's all ravaged by Katrina. It's, yeah, bits of it are ravaged by Katrina. It's all set around the year two thousand and eight. So I don't know if it's pre or after the Lehman's the Lehman's crash and the whole the whole global depression that kicked in. Um, 
But it, I don't think a lot of those people lost money in houses. No, yeah. <laughs> I don't think their property portfolios were hurt in any no, way. No, Scott Coram was doing great before the <laughs> property bubble popped. Well, it, just the America they show you is dirty, it's lonely. You can actually, by watching the documentary, you can smell the decay of the country through those images that they're showing you. There's a bit in it where, when Richard Meeks, uh, father of the year, um, his ex-friend says how he was a fifth level dwarf which I, I guess in if we put that into lingo that people would understand most people understand how a company's structured and I guess a fifth level dwarf is is like a, a senior manager who's been passed over to become a director right <laughs> so he's quite proud of where he's got to he wants to be a seventh level dwarf but he hasn't got there yet and then when he says Richard killed him in front of him and you can see the guy's crushed he's absolutely yeah. crushed and he said, I haven't got over it yet. And that was seven years, man. There there are elements that I, I, I'm going to kind of keep in my conclusion of how I am two bullies away from being one of these guys as a teenager. is <laughs> 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 is my honest worry. But uh, so Meeks, Sheeks, uh, it's Meeks, isn't it? Not Cheeks. It's Meeks. Yeah, yeah. I'm terrible with names. All right, so... It goes on, and then um, it tells you about how his last marriage ended. Because he's going about how everything's final with him. And this is a story that I don't think you could write better for a get-to-know-you-this-is-an-arsehole character in a show. Yeah. It is... Awful. I, I, I enjoyed it. Cause he's a coward. He, he turns, he, he's an absolute animal. And he turns around, so he gets his, he goes, so when my first marriage dissolved, I I turns to my wife. I says, will you give me a lift to the airport? She gave me a lift to the airport. I packed my things. I took the keys and said, I hope you have your keys because I'm taking mine. And I just left. And she'd had like kids that he was raising yeah, with, and not kids. his kids. Three kids. Because then it, it, he's telling you this because he's going to go and meet one of the children for the first time yeah. in 11 years. Uh, Ryan, I think he's called. Yeah, yeah, who's a firefighter, right? Again, another American hero. He's a yeah. he's doing the right thing. He's he's following in his stepfather. Athletically, could not be more different to his stepfather. Even yeah. this guy is a specimen. Six foot two. Uh, yeah, handsome. He's a firefighter. Uh, he's doing again, American hero. You know, he's doing the right thing by his country, which he probably picked up off of his stepdad his dad was in the forces a served time bloody bloody blah, blah, blah. Um, yep. but yeah his dad just disappeared one day or his stepdad rather what a piece of shit and they it, it's i always like to think of the logistics of the shots at some of these particularly on the ones where nothing much is happening and you got to think they were around each other for a full day they didn't get a whole lot of usable footage no at all from that from that reconnection and he does not look too entertained by having Meeks with him no because Meeks then turns around and says I'm just glad you're not mad and he just looks at him yeah. and doesn't does not reassure him that this is happening and then he gets uh, like the bell goes yeah, for he gets a fire a and they have yeah, to go yeah. and my girlfriend says I bet he'd planned that for 20 minutes in and just says look just ring the bell so I can get rid of this guy yeah <laughs> the look on the, the stepson's face as if you done me a favour by leaving, actually. Look at the state of you. What happened? What sort of man would you have raised me to become if you would have stayed around, if that's what you could do to free children? Oh, he's a piece of shit, mate, the bloke. Pre- oh, genuinely, I yeah. got really angry. And then then it cuts to Steve Corum. And Steve Scott, Corum... Scott Corum. Scott, Scott Corum. 
this bloke has genuinely lost the plot because he says sometimes your dice are bad and you have to punish them. And he puts a dice in the freezer and then he gets it out and he goes, you line up all the other dice so they can see it. And then he gets a hammer and he smashes the dice that's been in the freezer. He gets mafioso on the dice. And the f you can see the joy in his face. Is this what you want to happen to you other d dice? And he's smashing this dice with a hammer. The geezer loses it. The whole thing was so uncomfortable. So then then we start to go. He's doing the choreography as Scott Coram for his cable access show. Uncle Drax's magical clubhouse. How can you have wrote that down but not the lady's name who is the Dark Elf? Oh, right. Like, it's my fault that I haven't written down the lady's name. I got the other two dudes' names. But uh, so Mandy Butler, recognize her name. She comes around to help him dye his beard black. And then they go and do the choreography. Now, this is brilliant because Scott is, he looks a little bit mad with power with the direction oh, yeah. of how it's going. He does, he's not particularly warm as a person to the people helping him. He's kind of like, follow my lead and this will be great. But it's not very little comfort or, or uh, empathy and when he talks to people and then and how cocky so he is tells... he though because he says this is easy oh is it yeah. what making a tv show is easy okay scott carry on sir <laughs> and uh they um so he tells the whole group what mandy's husband's doing wrong swinging the sword he says and i, I the quote was something like i don't want power swings this is choreography not fighting and then the husband storms off and you see a great mouthed argument between Mandy and Mandy's husband yeah. of him waving, saying, I'm done. Fuck this guy. <laughs> I'm sick of all of you around him. Who's he telling me how to swing a fucking sword? <laughs> Fuck Scott. Don't need this on me Saturday. People are laughing at us. You've noticed people are laughing at us in the park. Where are the weirdos in the fucking park right now? And he's telling me that I'm doing this wrong. We're doing this to help him for free. And he he, he clearly feels like there's there's an interloper that could be a problem with Scott Corum and his missus. And the way Scott reacts is arrogant but non-confrontational. Yeah. When he talks about someone, doesn't he? It was someone's oh, so fault. Passive Some, so passive-aggressive. It was someone this, someone... Ah, come on. Just... But he almost, like, cowers and, like, picks at his wrist sheath as they're talking. And then knowing that she'll take his side. And it's like, if someone... There's been problems in the past, and if someone has a problem with me, someone should come and tell me they have a problem with me. It's like it was on camera. You can see... It. You can say the guy's, the guy's name. name, yeah, it's fine, because we don't remember has... most people's names anyway, Scott. And then it cuts to Elf Lady, and I did write her name down. I'm not a complete douche. It was Elizabeth Reisman. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm some sort of idiot. I do write people's names down. I just couldn't find it. Um, so Elizabeth Reisman, uh, Elf Lady, as I'm, I just prefer her as Elf Lady, right? Because Elizabeth backstory, uh, her ex-husband was abusive. It was just not very nice, and she talks about it. I'm not even going to go into it because it was just, it was quite sad. But this is the drama attractor because it then cuts to her, and she's moved in with her boyfriend. And you're like, oh, from the LARPing. from the LARPing. yeah, yeah. And you're like, ah, oh, good on you. And she's got a job. She's going to become a, a computer programmer. It was all very, very nice, right? And then she tells you her backstory, and I reach for the tissues because I was like, oh, that poor woman. The backstory is heartbreaking. It's like married at 19 because she got felt pregnant yep. with an abusive partner. Very abusive. Uh, and that is clearly like just, there's just some things that happen to people that just, it stays with them. You can tell how much yeah. she's jumped into this world just 
as, as an extra part of getting away yeah. from the real one. She says, and that's when I decided not to rely on anyone. There was just me. And that was it. That was her disconnect from the real world, wasn't it? That was like, yeah, okay, you people are scum. I'm going to go live with bears. <laughs> just... So that's what I think she actually wanted to do. Go and live with some bears. Because, she, yeah, she's had enough of people's. <laughs> if we checked the names, it, it wasn't the girl who was actually with Timothy Treadwell. Oh, that would be end, awful, it? wouldn't it? If that was the... Uh... You, you almost misspoke there, didn't you, Matt? You almost didn't say awful. <laughs> <laughs> but then we we cut to uh, Meeks at home uh, being the dungeon master. And then he, he doesn't like the guys who's playing his game. So he sends them... Yeah. What sounds like what sounds like a suicide note, yeah. Yeah. And what I would like to do, if we can, at the end of this episode, I would love to get this letter and then put it to the backing track of Gemma the Baz Lernum song Sunscreen. Yes. If you go get this letter to that backing track, that'll sound amazing. Because he asks a lot of arsy rhetorical questions yep. about dungeon mastery to that. I just think it'll sound brilliant. If we can get that done. It's basically like, it's the equivalent of because he takes, he's taking the the universe away that they've all been playing. It's like taking your football away when you're a kid, so the other kids can't play. And to say he's a tad dramatic uh, is an understatement. Dare I say he's Treadwellian? Can I make that reference? Treadwellian. <laughs> yeah, I'd give you that. He's um, he, he's just the guy's a first class dick. And then, so after that, we then see Corum. He's he's filming a show. He's wearing a bane mask because they've found black mold in the house. And then it comes to, this is a little scene that I absolutely love. I want to know if you picked up on it, right? So he's walking to collect his son from school. Yeah. And he's walking along the chain link fence. Yep. You watch the kids on the other side of that chain yep. link fence. They they are following him yep. like a lion looking at gazelle. Yep. They are looking to eat him alive. And that is... In a nutshell, why he is the way he is. Yep. He has to block out so many insults. Well, because, and he's wearing his full Dungeons and Dragons outfit, and he picks up his child from school, right? So his child's, what, about seven years old? Yeah. Scott Coram learned nothing from being an ostracized child to the fact he's now passing it on to his kid. It just seems he mean. Even, just... He even heard the other parents laughing going, that's Andrew's yeah. dad. <laughs> <laughs> and then the biggest kick in the nuts for Scott Coram his literary agent, who's been quite supportive throughout, right? And gi- and given him a, a ray of hope. We passed over this, but this is... Um, so the literary agent took a few pages yeah. and then gave it to one of their readers who is an ex-professional. Do you remember what the ex-professional said? Um, the Dan Brand fans will like this. Buy it because the people who like the Da Vinci Code will love it. Yeah. Now, I didn't realize because I'm literally incompetent as well i don't i'm not a big reader but i i do watch a lot of Stuart lee and here's one here's someone whose opinion i trust and apparently the da vinci codes aren't good books they're kind of books for idiots that are mass produced as opposed uh, according to Stuart lee within a very good stand-up routine is where yeah. that comes from it's the janet of john of adult fiction basically it's so easy to read i think i read the da vinci code in i think an afternoon it was and i'm not a fast reader it was just that's how easy it was. You're like, oh, okay, I'm done. That was it. That was. And when my brother told us it, he told you. My brother read it, and then we watched, when he watched the movie, he says, "You see that thing he's hurting himself with the the albino dude." Yeah, yeah, he's whipping himself, self-flagellation. 
he went, it's like eight pages to describe that one thing. <laughs> and I was like, this is, it's why I don't read. That's just too yeah. much. <laughs> I haven't got eight pages in me. Um, and then, yeah, and sadly, Scott is is dropped by his literary agent. Yeah, she said she hates it. Yeah, she hates he, it. That was how she went from, I like it, I'm going to buy it. I'm talking three volumes here. And he's like, oh, my God, I'm the next George R.R. R. Martin. Even almost weeps when she tells him yeah, that, yeah. that he's wiping a tear of joy out of us. And suddenly she's like, no, but, I hate it. And, and the thing is, like, he is now starting to morph into the comic book guy from The Simpsons. Yeah, but an unsuccessful version of the comic book guy in The Simpsons. <laughs> Then, then we're back to what was Elf Lady's name again? El- there, man, Eliz- <laughs> Elizabeth Reisman. And this proper, I had a few laugh out loud, loud moments during this documentary, and this bit proper cracks me up. I mean, prop. I watched it four times. So we're interviewing the drama attractor, and she's in full black elf face, and she's telling us how she split from her previous boyfriend, and then the camera very slowly pans away from her (laughs) 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 it pans it pans across to her new boyfriend (laughs) who's also in full black elf face he looks like the band offspring have went through a culture change. Do you, you ever see Offspring? No, I've no idea who they are. Oh, you got to Google Offspring. So it's basically the lead singer from Offspring in full black elf gear, and it's it's just hilarious because she says guys tend to only like me for what I like. So they like that I like mm. comic books. They like that I know D and D and fantasy, but they don't they don't ever want to know me as a person. And then they turn to the new boyfriend who is now dressed exactly like her as a fucking elf. And be like, yeah, this isn't about your hobbies. This is a personal, spiritual connection. Yeah, and which is weird that he's chosen to be an elf because obviously, if I was an elf, I'd be rising up and trying to get elf power from men. But um, yeah, he, no, he's cho- he's chosen to be in an oppressed minority. It would seem as an elf. So um, I hope he's all right with the drama attractor. I hope that works out because effectively His... they'd be coming up for their what thirteenth year anniversary. And I've just done that with my missus. So uh, I hope it's working out for them. That's all I can say. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if they're spicing things up, they're running through goblins. And, uh, but I'll tell you exactly how that happened, how he became an elf. She went, I will only fuck a dark elf. And he went, pass me the sponge. Yeah. I, I can elf <laughs> up. Yep. Um, and listen, the whole, the whole film, right, it isn't about Dungeons and Dragons. It's about those three people. And they're not having a good time. And they just like dressing up. And you just... And this is all happening on the, the, the back of... You know, America going through a huge change. It's just quite sad. And the saddest bit for me was when we finally get to see parts of uh, the cable access TV show Uncle Drag's oh, Magical Clubhouse. Hang fire. There's, there's a quick bit before that. There's a quick bit. Again, I, I, I could watch Meeks talk himself in a circle all day long because... He cracks me up, he honestly does. So he comes and you can tell he's annoyed. He's by the barbecue. And he says, well, I didn't get too many responses from my email saying I was quitting. That's disappointing. There's Richard. Richard's using my game now. In fact, and he's kind of taking credit for the the, the, the ideas on this. But he says he didn't get many responses, right? He sent it to nine people and he got four responses. That's not bad. Yeah, but we're comedians. We're used to 30 ignored emails from promoters <laughs> to get one back. Do you know what I mean? If we if we got four responses from every nine emails, we'll be absolutely buzzing. And this is what he does. So he says, so the guy who reaches out as a friend away from Dungeons Dungeon Dragons is just something he does. Yep. 
and he's trying to be a friend to Meeks. He says, listen, you clearly got some stuff to sort out, but you got those big conifers in your back garden, and if you need a hand cutting them down, I'm there anytime. And then he gets a call and goes, he's been asking me what to do with his players. And he gets a call from him. He's like, hi, yeah. Where are you? You're on the 495? We're starting dinner without you. <laughs> and hangs up on him. Storms in the house and tells it's time to eat to the family. I just thought this guy's coming around to fix his trees. He's reaching out so he's not completely isolated from his group of friends for years. He's just like, you're 20 minutes away? I'm eating now. Goodbye. Yeah, I'm going to wait for and, you. And, there is just no second chances with Meeks. You know who Meeks reminds me of, right? Um, because it, he converted to be with his, his current wife, as he refers to her as. Um, he converted to Judaism, right? So he became Jewish. And then also it, there was footage of his acceptance speech of how he can relate to the children of Egypt wandering the desert. Yeah, because he's a, he's, an, he's been an outsider all his life. Um, and who he is, he's Walter Sochak. You know, played by John Stephen Goodman at the Big Lebowski. He converts. He, he's a he? short, yeah. He's yeah. a short Walter subject. I'll give you that. Yeah, because yeah. he he tries to have that presence about himself, mm. and his opinion overrules all. Yeah, I'd give it that. Yeah. So, very much so. He, so he could have been the uh, the basis of that character. Is the way I looked at him then. I was like, oh, yeah. okay. And it just it, here's my final summary. Right at the end, I sat and I looked at that documentary. And I don't know, it, it genuinely upset me. It really, it really did. Because all I kept thinking of, right, as I was watching it, was I'm one bad stand-up gig away from becoming one of those people. That's all that, <laughs> that's all that kept going through my mind. I genuinely, when my what? missus comes home later, I'm going to just tell her how much I love her, I appreciate her, what do I need to do? Um, oh, am I, I did the dishes this morning. Yeah, right, exactly. This documentary is going to make me a better boyfriend. And, and you, you really got to be worried. You and that fantastical Mr. So-and-so show weren't you when you improv lines and wear costumes yeah we were, and I, I could laughing that was like laughing right and you were getting paid to be in children's improv oh brilliant and i didn't leave for political or other reasons then you see the premiere of the show and i got to be honest i don't think his cable access show was as bad as i thought it would be yeah man it looked all right i must admit it did look all right and, and that comes to a little bit of a conclusion for him uh, and that's that's pretty much a wrap on the documentary. But I want to say I was watching it, and the, the Dungeons and Dragons element of it, and what people get into, is so closely littered. Where if there wasn't sports here, or an older brother there, <laughs> making sure that I didn't do anything that would literally put me down a path of being a Scott Curran or a Meeks, I think I could have very because even to this day I. Oh, to, until doing this podcast, I was playing NBA. This is the second segment of the NBA game I play. You build a character, you choose your position, you choose your specialty. Right, yeah, yeah. And then over time, and the more you play it, the better you get. And, there, and the idea is that you grow in ability is something that continues for me playing. But for some reason, it is, is woven into sporting games as opposed to fantasy. Yeah, and that's okay for you, right? Yeah, yeah. But what, uh, what you're and, saying is you would one step away if, if they hadn't invented the atari and we were now where we are with video games you'd be playing dungeons and dragons is that what you're saying i think i think i'd be a vice president in google but in my free in my free time <laughs> i, I would be playing dungeons and dragons if the atari hadn't been invented you'd be chairing google would you <laughs> so, all right okay you talk you talk about obsessive behavior and if you adapt to what would actually make you 
successful uh, championship manager, football manager. Been playing that since 1996. Nice. Okay, so you take over a football team. It's always Newcastle. Oh, of course. Always Newcastle. So obviously what Mike Ashley has done to Newcastle in the past 10 years has made my job harder every year I get the new game. So I'll buy the new game, but the only thing different for me is we've just lost our best player and I've got less money to spend. So the upswing of uh, getting Newcastle win and and modern PCs for gaming uh, goes through uh, a program called Steam. Yes. You've got Steam yeah, on yours? No, but I've bought Steam games for my godson. So I am aware of Steam. Here's the problem I didn't realize until my girlfriend looked on my laptop. It will tell you how many hours you played Football Manager, but it, it also logs since 20, uh, 2012, 2010, or whenever oh, it started dear. being put on. Sh- and it was at least uh, 325 hours a year. So you're doing around just under you're doing just under an hour a day but you're probably not are you you're probably doing probably binges of one yeah, once like, or twice a week of doing seven to ten hours yeah <laughs> so if you think if that time was like spent better on anything productive you would be it, ceo of google and remember that is one of five games i play to that level of obsession <laughs> at a time a year there's five games i get a year Wow, I, I I spend my time looking through Netflix menus of what what they've got in their shelves. I, I I'll do that for a couple of hours a day sometimes. Why why do you think I keep suggest? Oh, and have you seen this documentary? Have you seen that documentary? Yeah, I'm I am fully up to speed with what uh, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, Now TV, and Netflix have got in their documentary uh, f- uh, libraries. It's yeah. That's all I do. It drives my missus insane. We're going to whack a bow on the Dungeon Masters. I'd recommend it. I think there's enough funny daft stuff uh, and enough going on, but the story isn't great, but I I swear there is is elements of it. There's no story. The story isn't great. (laughs) The story is this is the biggest dick of a Dungeon Master, and this guy is trying to get a book made. Elizabeth Reisman is just damaged. Dedicated. And 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 dedicated. Very dedicated. She is mint within that community. She is by far the best person in this documentary. Yeah. Yeah, she is. She takes it incredibly seriously, and she's not as far as I can tell, as much as she says she's a drama attractor, she's not mean to anyone. I didn't see that, whereas I saw the other two were mean. Oh, but she saves it for when she's talking to a male elf. She gets all of that out of her system then. But that's what her society and elf society, that's what it's expected of her. So she's just living up to her role within the elf community. You can't blame her for that. She's just being what she is. I like this. So what are you giving it out of five for D- the Dungeon Masters there, Matt? Oh, that's a great question. I genuinely haven't thought of this. Uh, I, I guess it did get me going, right? And I did, and I, as I said, I constantly kept thinking, there but for the grace of God go I. Um, I'm going to give this a a healthy three. Yeah, just because it, yeah, it moved me. It And that's a documentary is meant to make you think and feel, and it, it did all of that. So yeah, go on. That's a three from me. Same here. Three from me as well. Oh, well. I agree on that one. Wow, okay. So, uh, Rick, uh, say goodbye. All right, thanks very much for listening again, folks. Come back uh, again and listen again. We've got some uh, we got some real cracker of documentaries coming up. Um, Rick, what was the name of the, the one I can't get in my head? Abducted in Plain Sight. 
abducted in plain sight and uh, and i felt bad for making matt watch this one and mm. so we've got that and there's a like i said we're, we're, this is coming out every week so if you want to know what's coming up uh, what's what's in our library of what we're going to be reviewing and dissecting drop us an email at uh, discussing documentaries at gmail.com or follow us on twitter and uh, instagram go to our facebook page it's all there subscribe to the document uh, subscribe to the podcast and just look after yourself thank you very much goodbye thanks for listening guys